Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with Deborah Kenny, founder and CEO of Harlem Village Academies, lauded as a school by Mayor Bloomberg as the poster child for this country. She is a champion of exemplary charter schools and an informal spokesperson for how education can work. She's been interviewed by Bill Cosby, Joe Scarborough, and now me on the EdCast. Welcome, Dr. Kenny. Thank you. Arguably, what makes your school so distinct is the teacher quality and culture. You wrote about three aspects of culture in the Wall Street Journal op-ed. What is it that you feel attracts effective teachers? As I wrote in that op-ed, that I think there are three things that attract talent. Um, but by far, the most important is a culture of ownership. And what that means is that you treat teachers as if they're the owner of their domain, of their business, which is the business of teaching and learning. And what that means on a daily level is that they get to make the most important decisions. Uh, what book am I going to use? What curriculum? What teaching method? Uh, how will I internally assess my children every week? And while it sounds simple and obvious, as a country, we have not treated teachers with the kind of respect that they deserve. We've imposed on them from the federal to the state to the city to the district to the school principal. Everybody wants to tell teachers what to do, um, as opposed to letting the teachers make these important decisions and trusting them and respecting them. And so it's about giving them the freedom that comes with trusting them as professionals. So that's the first thing. Now, in order to do that, the flip side is being held accountable. You know, you have freedom over everything you're going to do, and at the end of the day, all we ask is that the results are there, what the students know at the end of the year, what skills they have, uh, and so that's sort of the trade-off. Uh, the second part of our culture is a culture of, of team, and by that I mean community, fun, appreciating each other, treating each other the way we would want to be treated, um, being really supportive to teachers, uh, and going out of our way to really um, function as a team, which means that sometimes you put other people's needs before your own, kind of like you would do in a family. And we have a lot of fun together, and we make a point of uh, doing our best not to gossip or complain or whine because those kinds of negative things can spread. And so we almost monitor each other in a way. And then the third is a culture of learning. We're constantly improving. We're constantly learning. We work with each other. We don't believe as much in outside experts as we do in the expertise of teachers to really continually refine what they're doing, observe each other, and make their own decisions about what kind of professional development they want. Now with those three characteristics on the table, where is it that you find teachers that meet those criteria? Where do you, where do you recruit them and then how much are you training within? So those are the things that we as a school are responsible to create. Those are not, the culture is the responsibility of the leader of the school, and then once you're hired, it becomes your responsibility. So they're not criteria. The criteria that we use are the things that almost any leader would want, S somebody who's really smart, really driven, but then we have something else, which is, we look for people who share our values. 
And so we have a set of values that we've articulated that really reflect what we believe and, and what we want to share how we want to live our lives. And so, for example, we put children's needs before our own. We put team before individual. We hold ourselves accountable. We, we work with a sense of urgency. You know, there's a set of values. And so when we hire, we look for people who are really smart, really driven, and, that, and share our values. Now, is, is there a particular pool of people that share those values? Is it people coming right out of TFA? Is it going and recruiting people who study business? It seems like sectors are blending now. You know, it, that's interesting. It's, it's it's not about people who are in business and it, it, it's really you know when we think about looking for teachers um, we mostly find our teachers for the most part in the general school system we also do lots of TFA recruiting I am a, a huge fan of TFA and I think what they have done for this education movement is to bring in a very high caliber of people so uh, it, it's not that talent is hard to find. I think it's actually, we don't have a shortage of talent. I think it's that we don't know how to create the right kind of school environment that attracts and develops and keeps talented people happy. And that's the work of school leaders. It's clear your teachers have a passion and vigor for their work. It's clear in all the media. Are there worries about sustainability, about burnout, about teachers working really long days and being able to do that as a career? So um, I'd say that that balance is really important, although um, I don't necessarily practice that, but I'll preach it. Um, you just did a two-hour lecture here, <laughs> now my interview, I'm sure things tonight. Well, so here's the thing. We all love what we do. It's not a job. It's a life's work. It's a mission. And, that's, and we look for people who are really in this because they think it's the most important thing in the world to do. So, so you know, we do go the extra mile. We do look for people who are willing to go above and beyond. At the same time, people want to be able to have a family and, and to, you know. So you have to find ways. You have to be creative with your budget. We do not require our teachers to work every Saturday like a lot of the schools do. Um, uh, there are there are things you can do. I would not say that we have completely solved that problem. Um, I think it's a work in progress. Unionization of charter schools, good or bad? Of charter schools or in general? Charter schools, charter school teachers. Well, I think that you know it's it, that's a, a um, obviously a really tricky topic. For us, um, we feel that the ability to make our own you know, um, rules and have our own relationships and, and within our schools to sort of govern ourselves and not have laws and rules imposed on us and not have, whether it's working conditions or other kinds of rules, it's sort of like having a third person in, in your bed when you're married. You know, we can't imagine having the kinds of, of trusting relationships and the passion with which we do our work and the um, way in which we hold ourselves accountable one to the other in our community of teachers. None of us can imagine how some third party could come in and make that better. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's something that we're really looking for. The relationship between HVA and charter schools like it and the traditional public schools, are you a school that is a testing ground for approaches that district schools can then adopt? 
a source of competition that can drive improvement in traditional district schools, or is it a replacement? Uh, I actually think that there are things that everyone can learn from everyone. So I have visited excellent private schools, excellent magnet schools, excellent district schools. Obviously, there are lots of excellent charter schools. There tend to be more excellent charter schools because they're not constrained by the conditions that district schools are constrained by. They don't have all those you know, work rules and regulations that make it hard to do um, excellent work. But I think that we all have to learn from each other. And um, I think that the charter movement has a lot to offer, but it also has a lot to learn from traditional education sources. Ex and I know we have. Examples being? Oh, well, like Nancy Atwell's book. I fell in love with that book. I mean, and, and I um, just couldn't put it down. Um, you know, Fontas and Pinnell developed. There are, there are just, there are countless um, sources of information and uh, ideas that come from outside of the charter movement, um, I could probably take up the whole time listing them all, but I think that You've might be a little... only got six more minutes. <laughs> a little boring there. Now, HVA is a model dependent upon private fundraising for, uh, to some degree. For now. For, for now. now. Okay. Well, you anticipated the next part of my question. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What are the implications of its reliance on private dollars for its ability to grow to scale? Well, we're not looking to grow to be uh, uh, extraordinarily big, so um, so I don't think we're going to have that that particular problem. You, you once said, "If we become a bureaucracy, shoot you." Right, <laughs> right. I will but not be doing that. Yeah, but although although I don't equate bureaucracy just with size, that's more about a mentality and an approach to how you work. Um, but back to the question, you know, I think that ultimately. We need funding equity. And so so right now, charters uh, receive 75 cents on the dollar. So they're not funded equitably. They also don't get startup monies. They don't get it for the most part around the country. They don't get facilities. And so a charter school is a public school. It should get the same amount of money. And one day, I think that will happen. I think that will happen soon. It seems like a lot of people always like to pick apart success stories. What would you say to those who bring up student attrition and say HVA's results reflect the movement of struggling students going back to the traditional public schools? So, first of all, um, it would be nice if everything we did had always been perfect from the very first day we opened our doors um, and, and we never made any mistake at all. I don't think that's realistic. Um, and I think that um, some of the... Uh, uh, detractors who are um, against education reform or against the charter movement look for those imperfections and then they try to invalidate the hard work of our teachers um, by pointing them out. I think what we do when we look at our mistakes and imperfections is we say, how do we fix it? How do we make it better? What can we do differently? What can we do better? And so, um, so the uh, students leaving the school is something we don't want to happen. In the early years, we were so busy figuring out, okay, we have these kids who have come to us. They are five years behind grade level on reading. How do we catch them up? They're behind on math. How do we catch them up? We were, we've been so obsessed with how to create excellent schools in, and how to um, have not only the students catch up and accelerate academically, but also we're thinking about character and we're thinking about fun and joy in learning. So I think we were so focused on the students who were at the school in those early years that 
when students uh, and families chose to leave at the end of the year, all we did was beg them to stay. And, in the, in, and years went by when we didn't really pay attention to that problem. And then, um, for, a, for a number of reasons, we started you know, you know, to get our grounding in other areas. And we said, you know what? There's probably more we can do. Instead of trying to just convince somebody at the end of the year who chooses to leave not to, maybe we can do things preventively. And so we got all our teachers together about a year and a half ago to really come up with, and, and our teachers are so amazing, they came up with this comprehensive preventive plan Maybe I can share it if you know if there's another time to do so. And the problem has now been solved. And the numbers will show completely differently in the future. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, demonstrate all those great solutions that the teachers came up with to prevent this from happening in the first place. HVA is run very much like a business. It's it's data driven, and, and you come from business. What would you say to the movie like Race to Nowhere that says our children are overly programmed, spending too much time in school, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? What is your response to that movie? So I not only have I not seen it, but I've never heard of it, so I don't know anything about it. I can't speak to it. Um, but I wouldn't say that we're run only like a business. Um, we feel like a family. We feel like a community. Um, there are some businesses that run that way, <laughs> um, like Zappos, <laughs> for example. There, there are a bunch of them, but, um, but I, I think that we run like a school. <laughs> Was there a watershed moment that made you just want to completely reform education in the way that you have done so well? There was there you know there was a moment in my life something something difficult that happened um, that that uh, made me reflect on life and how short it is and wanting to do something more and um, and uh, I, what happened was I started reading books by Jonathan Kozel and and really uh, related to the mothers in those books and 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 was just completely um, taken with the children in those books and that that was the beginning 20 years if you're in on this interview again what are you hoping to report that education inequity has been eradicated in across america and that, that that's the dream you know that that um people put children's interests first that's really all that has to happen to, to, to fix education, and it, it, it sounds a little silly to say it in that way, but the reality is that if, if everyone put children's needs above special interests of adults and made all our decisions based on what's best for kids, then all the political conditions that are now impeding the ability of schools to run well would not be there, and we would be able to um, provide uh, equity and equitable opportunities for all the children in America who deserve it. How cool is it to say that John Legend is your friend? <laughs> he is a very smart and dedicated uh, education reformer, and he's a he's really great guy. Dr. Kenny, you have a long day today, and you found 15 minutes for us, and we really do appreciate it. Good luck with everything you're doing, and we're proud. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.